0: Welcome to the E-Commerce Growth Show, brought to you by Segmentify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Women in E-Commerce Show, um, powered by Segmentify. I'm Lavinia, and I'm here with Annabella to actually explore a little bit of background and the story of Lucy Roberts-Mitchell, Managing Director of Brave Disguise and Founder of Reverie the Boutique. So we have uh, both um, an agency professional and a merchant on the screens with us (laughs) today. So very exciting. Welcome, Lucy, to the show.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, likewise. So, yeah, just to break the ice, um, as I mentioned, you actually wear different hats in different companies, um, I was just curious <laughs> to know how you actually entered the e-commerce business at first uh, you've been in the industry for a very long time now so how did you enter that field and how did you actually decide to start your own shop online
1: that's yeah that's such a good question um, definitely hit the ground running with that one um, I guess I've been working in e-commerce probably since I was about 18 years old and I'm now 32 so it's been a while um, to be honest I fell into e-commerce completely accidentally uh, at the time that I started in e-com it was really just taking off here in the UK so the business I was working for at the time um, they were just exploring their first website um, and I happened to be working on the shop floor at the time I was doing more of a merchandising position Um, And I just loved being surrounded by the clothes. I loved the customers. I loved the whole brand experience of being in a store and being in that luxury environment. And I was really intrigued by what the website was going to be, because I think at that point we mainly had ASOS in one of its early iterations. So I was tasked with what I thought was super exciting, which was writing all the product descriptions. (laughs) which as we know actually isn't that fun when there's about 600 of them to do but I was super excited by the opportunity and it just kind of went from there I ended up moving into uh, another role after university uh, where I studied fashion communication in uh, Newcastle at Northumbria ended up into in more of a studio position online visual merchandising and just became so exposed to e-commerce trading how customers were interacting with the codes online was really interesting to me because I'd always been in such a retail focused background so I really got into this idea of sort of I suppose psychology in a way of how customers interacted with the website how their purchases were differently informed from how they are in, in a store environment and it just grew from there
0: <laughs> wonderful yeah um and I'm sure you've seen a lot, because even if you're super young, you still have been in the field for so long. So
1: Absolutely, um, it's changed so much.
0: Yeah, out of, of curiosity, is there anything you miss from the sort of old school e-commerce you started with?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do. I know this is going to sound awful. I'm going to be poached by all of my agency friends for saying this, but I love, I, I miss retail. In a way, I still really do miss that retail environment and having that ability to connect with a customer in person, take them through the story of the brand, because nobody can tell it quite like you can when you're so invested in a brand um, and you're representing that brand or you're representing that business. Being able to tell a customer that in a store environment, when you've got the products right there with you, you can use all of the senses. I do miss that. But a lot of what we, what we do at Brave the Skies is about interpreting that experience and bringing that online. And so many of our merchants now are pure play. Um, they're just online, just e-coms. So that in-store experience has never existed for them. Um, but for the ones who do have bricks and mortar stores, that's one of my favorite parts of this discovery is really understanding how the store staff experience the products with the customers what that initial feedback is like and then how we can translate that to a digital product
0: wonderful yeah this is a question i kind of was saving for later but since we tackled that topic <laughs> um and uh, this is something Annabella knows as well, since she works a lot in the marketing side of things. How do you manage both with Brave Disguise that um, just to give a bit of context to our listeners, takes care of mainly plus stores in the fashion and lifestyle brands. So where storytelling is definitely really important. So how? What is there any like trick or any um, rule suggestion you would share to actually make storytelling relevant in a way that is not just a tool for conversion, but actually is creating a community and the feeling of the actual customers?
1: Of course, no, that's such a good question. Um, we've got a couple of merchants who do this really, really well. So I always love to reference Rick so and Kitry, both uh, in a similar, a similar space in sort of independently owned UK women's wear fashion brand space, both beautiful collections, fantastic founders behind both brands. And, and I'm really lucky to have um, sort of a relationship with with both sets of founders as well. Um, so being able to speak to them about their collections, understand um, their business from the ground up has been one of the biggest highlights of, of my job. But I suppose when it comes to that storytelling piece and then how we translate that into their projects or into their work, it really boils down to authenticity. And that is such a huge part of both brands. They genuinely have that story behind them that's backing them up. They have so much passion for what they do. And I think the really key part is that because the founders have been involved to such an extent from the grassroots of the businesses, they're so in tune with who their customer is. And I think that as businesses grow um, and you sort of look at more corporate businesses, perhaps they really lose touch of who their customer actually is. Um, But I think specifically for those brands, So and Kitchery, they really have their fingers on the pulse of, okay, our customer is in her late 20s, early 30s, but maybe they've got, you know, persona B who's in her late 40s, early 50s, different levels of disposable income, they interact with the brands in different ways. Some are email marketing, some are social, some are in-store at pop-up events, and they really understand how to reach their customer and how to speak to her. And I think that is so important. and. There not really a quick trick in order to be able to do that it's it's a lot of passion it's a lot of data which supports that passion and it really is a complete pleasure to watch when brands
2: really do understand that
0: so true yeah
2: it's amazing um, how you speak with uh, with so much passion yeah. about it it's like you can really feel it you know <laughs> something's got to get me up every day yeah, yeah. Um, Lucy, uh, you're being in a very uh, fragile position of working in two different businesses. How, how does this, uh, you know, coordinate with your regular life? How do you spend your time in in the two businesses? I, I think it's crucial to for our listeners and uh, uh, the guys who are watching us on, on YouTube um, to, to find this um, out about you.
1: I'm not going to say that I've nailed the balance. Um, <laughs> brave, uh, brave disguises—it's um, pretty demanding. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have it any other way. We're in an incredible period of growth, and I feel so honoured to be able to be in the position that I'm in, working with the mm-hmm. team that we have, um, and I wouldn't change that for the world. Reverie really started as a hobby for me, as a bit of a passion project back in 2020 when we went into lockdown. It's something that I'd said that I was going to do for years and years and years and years and years, and I just never did it. And I was getting really sick of listening to myself say that I was going to do it. So I just (laughs) thought, let's get on with it. Um, But I suppose when something feels like a hobby, it doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of work at the beginning, which my husband, my mother, my best friends will tell you that I did not manage very well. There wasn't a lot of sleep, which happened, (laughs) trying to get Reverie up and running, But now that it is up and running, I find that it slots in very nicely around my life. Um, Brave Disguise is my number one focus. Um, We're on, like I mentioned, we're on a big growth trajectory for what we're going to achieve in the next 12 months, which is super exciting. Um, But Reverie really allows me to have that creative outlet, which potentially, Lavinia, you know this, running an agency, you don't always get that creative outlet for your work. Um, a lot of what we do is operational, financial, when looking at growth, we're looking at organizational structures. Whereas with Reverie, I get to look at products and I get to have that retail experience again that, that I had when I was 18, which, which I missed. So it's lovely so to it, have a creative outlet to balance the, the structure. Exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> that's the balance, you know. And I, I feel that it's uh, uh, working so well together and complementing each other. Um, but from from a you know a, a daily schedule perspective how do you segment your day do you go uh, from 8 to 12 I'm doing this and from 12 to 4 p.m I'm doing the other business or what's oh, Good question um, <laughs> it
1: really this is not helpful it really depends um, <laughs> usually The first thing that I do when my alarm goes off is I check our Brave the Skies Slack channels. I check our emails for anything urgent that's come in. I'll Mm -hmm. respond to anything like that over breakfast. I always make time to do the Wordle. I don't know if you do the Wordle. (laughs) My husband and I have a very competitive streak going on, which we always do over coffee in the morning. But from, I would say from eight o'clock in the morning, Brave the Skies is 100% where my attention is, usually until... 6 7 8 p.m at night depending on what sort of a busy period we're in and then evenings and weekends I get to play with Reverie and I say play because it feels it feels like playtime for me it feels like I get to interact with the customers that I have on our social channels um, through email I get to chat to the brands that we stock and work on our new collections which is it doesn't feel like work and it's better than binge watching yet another series on Netflix (laughs) (laughs)
2: thanks for being honest and so open to of course (laughs) really crucial and um from from a marketing perspective how do you um you know do you get um, insights from the agency and you transfer them into your business do you get creative ideas from reverie and you transfer them to the agency clients how does that work
1: definitely it it goes both ways exactly as you say so I think having the experience of working with merchants at Brave the Skies and the previous agency that I was with, it gave me all of the foundational knowledge that I needed to build the website, know which apps and partners I needed to be working with to have that success, you know, straight off the bat. But on the flip side of things, as a Shopify Plus agency, we do sometimes have smaller merchants who approach us and say, you know what, I don't have fifty or £60,000 for a website, I just need some advice.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
1: really, I feel very privileged to be in a position where I can give that advice and give that information to merchants who are just getting up and running and don't know too much about e-commerce and those sort of building blocks that they need to to build a business. Um, Because one of the things that I really do feel that the Shopify Plus landscape is lacking is being able to provide that accessible information for people who do just want to get up and running and We all know that paying a freelancer a couple of hundred quid on Upwork isn't always going to give you that expertise and that it doesn't give you the best start. So I I always say that uh, if anyone picks up the phone, emails brave the skies, we'll chat for an hour, free consultation, anyone who wants it. And I'm really happy to be able to share what I've learned from Reverie if someone's just getting up and running and like I say, they don't have £50,000 to spend on a website. I'm more than happy to say, here's how I did it for Reverie. Completely self-funded, install a theme, tweak it around a little bit, pop these apps in, get yourself up and running, and then give me a call when you start to turn over a million and I'll still be here.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's something we face a lot as well as Nama, and I feel like being able to give up, back in that sense, especially after COVID, I remember, at least in the Shopify ecosystem, there was this moment in which COVID hit, And some people Mm. actually started creating a community of uh, agency that were supporting merchants, even for free, because clearly for people who had maybe a proximity store, no online store. um, Yeah, there's just so much potential in e-commerce, but not necessarily. It's easy to find the right information. I totally agree on that. Completely. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's great that you guys keep doing that. I think that provides so much value also in terms of community and the ecosystem itself. So going back, we were discussing about personas, right? And then we dig deeper into Reverie de Boutique. So actually your website has a full page dedicated to the Reverie woman, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I was wondering, first of all, are you the first Reverie woman? And uh, (laughs) how did you build that persona specifically?
1: Um, I would not be arrogant enough to assume that title for myself. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) Um, When I was... Defining what I wanted reverie to be, I wanted it to sort of almost amplify my own morals and my own beliefs to sort of make it just inspirational enough to be realistic, but also sort of keep that air of dreaminess and escapism about it. So I started playing with this concept of the reverie woman and and who she was, and she would essentially represent the brand's ethics and the brand's belief. And the brand is. Uh, vegan, cruelty-free, sustainable, luxurious. And I felt it was important for customers to be able to read about who that woman was, who that woman is, and hopefully see parts of themselves in her. I wanted it to feel quite inclusive, um but also maintaining that air of storytelling and dreamer.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, reading it definitely is inspiring and kind of makes you want to purchase the products because you feel like <laughs> you're doing something good, right? You're buying products that actually don't harm the environment. So, yeah, I know this project kind of came at the end of a process in which you were looking and sourcing for products for yourself, right? Because you've been yeah. like thinking and caring about these uh, topics. Um, um, cruelty free sustainability and so on and so forth for quite, quite a while so how was that journey what brought you to think um we actually are lacking a platform like this right now
1: it, like you say it was something that I'd thought about for years um and they were things that I'd cared about for so long and sort of going back to my original retail background and luxury fashion into the early years of my career I was such a a consumer of luxury products whether or not that was chanel perfume or mulberry handbags or you, you know all of the designer goods i would just i lapped it up i loved it um and when i turned vegan one of the things that i started digging into more was okay so vegan is is what i eat so okay cool i can i can deal with that and then no actually vegan is everything vegan is makeup it's cleaning product it's it goes across every area of your life. And I was finding it really frustrating that the shopping trips that I used to really enjoy, popping into a lovely department store like Harvey Nicks or something, buy a new Tom Ford perfume, just completely off the table. Can't do it. Can't get a handbag. Candles, even full of beeswax or different paraffins, different chemicals. like, for goodness sake, this is ridiculous. Like, why can't I have these nice things? And as I started digging around to try and find more sustainable alternatives I just didn't this is going to sound really brand snobby of me but they just didn't look very nice didn't look great I didn't want them in my home I didn't want to wear them I didn't want to to use those products and that's where Reverie really started to become more clear to me that there was a need to have a luxurious marketplace e-com store whatever you want to call it where you know that all the groundwork's been done you know that everything's been researched you know the supply chains are super clear People behind the brands are wonderful people who genuinely care about their craft and what they do, and you don't have to compromise anything. So it was very much born out of frustration (laughs) in the end.
0: (laughs) But there was a need there, definitely. (laughs) There was a need. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And how would you usually source for products? I mean, you have some very beautiful things on your website. So I guess in the end, you actually managed to find some right
1: yeah stuff. yes. there was um you know Instagram is an amazing tool for connecting with small businesses. Um, so I did use Instagram a lot. I spent a lot of time asking friends and family, you know what the main things were that they would purchase from either a gift store or maybe just like a treat that you would buy for yourself for a lot of women it's jewelry or a candle or you know a nice a, a little something for your home that just makes you feel just a bit special and like you've treated yourself. So I tried to nail down the product categories pretty early on. And then I tried to find the brands to slot into those categories to create it as more of a lifestyle piece than a bit of a free for all.
2: (laughs) Can you share with us one success and one, you know, challenge you had along the way? I am pretty sure you had a lot of, you know, milestones. (laughs) (laughs) Lessons learned, Um, stuff like that
1: for sure i think the biggest challenge was just getting up and running was working out the logistics of okay we've got an ecom brand we need a website we need packaging we need packing slips we need to be able to print labels to go to the post office it was all of those things that in a shopify plus agency you don't really see because your merchants have got all of that sorted and they have had for years so there was a lot of building blocks that i just wasn't aware existed mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was super tricky. Mistakes, God, I've made so many. I've spent too much money on the wrong stock that hasn't sold. Then um, I'm left with like 500 candles that my friends and family then get for birthdays and Christmases for years on end. But the successes outweigh it and make it all so worth it, I think launching the uh, dressing gown collection was definitely the highlight for me. I'd spent so long trying to find the right manufacturer, the right partner to make sure that that supply chain was completely clear and that I was really in touch with the person who was making the gowns and how everything was shipped over was super important. And I I was so nervous launching the gowns. It was about a year after we launched Reverie and I just thought, oh God, no one buys them. And I had this sudden thought as I was about to press launch that oh god who needs a dressing gown <laughs> what what am I doing this is ridiculous and I put them live in had all the posts and emails scheduled and everything and one of them the Palm Beach gown sold out within the first two hours and I just oh god I was so happy <laughs> because it's something that you pour so much into and you you try so hard and you you put so much effort in and you really think yes, this is the right thing to do, but it comes down to whether or not someone else wants to buy it. So that was a, a relief and a success, I would say.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think at the end of the, of the day is about building trust and making sure you what you create has a, you know, a response in a need or maybe not necessarily a need, but something that people wish for or hmm. aspire to. And I think that's amazing how, how you manage to match this creation that you make yourself uh, and to to the customers needs and wants Uh, it's it's fantastic can you tell us where you get your inspiration from in your creations and how you um you manage this creativity because uh, there's a lot of people who are creative you know but they they don't know how to focus their creativity in a in a certain direction and uh, I think it's inspiring to find out. Oh,
1: gosh, thank you. Um, oh, difficult. I think a lot of people keep me in check, mostly my mum and my husband. <laughs> um, they really sort of rein me back when I'm thinking, great, yeah, let's do this, let's do that. I'm going to try this next. I'm going to go over here. And it's always them sort of pulling me back, saying, hey, who's going to buy it? How is this actually going to work commercially? How is How are you going to afford to put that into production? How is that going to work? So, I think it's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned from Brave Disguise that I can take into reverie is balancing that creative ambition with the commercial awareness of what's actually possible. And I think also talking to customers and talking to friends, talking to peers, um, and just really understanding, you know, I, I think this is a great idea. I love this idea. I would buy this, but would you? And I think actually making sure that you've got people around you who are bold enough with you to say, actually no I wouldn't spend 40 pounds on that because I don't think it's worth it I think having those people is the most important and it's the best way to temper that creativity <laughs> before so you spend all your money on new stock <laughs> yeah. you have a personal focus group <laughs> exactly so many different mini focus groups
0: <laughs> nice and yeah we, so speaking of uh, focus group communities um we were discussing the bravery woman in general. I know um, also at Brave Disguise, there's quite a few women professionals, if I'm not wrong. Yes, so we've I was got a wondering, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was wondering, um, how's it been being a woman in a very uh, high managerial position in a big agency and then also a woman entrepreneur? What were the challenges? And is there any maybe be recommendation or anything you've learned during this path you would like to share with? Our audience.
1: Of course. Gosh. Um, I think being being a female at the head of Reverie is a lot easier than being a female at the head of Brave the Skies. Um, I find that the small business community that I'm part of with Reverie is incredibly inclusive. It is largely female driven. Um, there aren't actually that many men that I come across in the brands that I work with. Um, it does tend to be mostly women, whereas you can completely flip that on its head when it comes to tech and brave the I, to be honest, find it a real struggle. Sometimes it's something that has taken me a really long time to get used to and to overcome Um, I've been working in agencies now, probably all up for nearly eight years. And I never thought that I would experience the amount of sexism firsthand that I have. And that was a real shock to me. Um, I really wasn't expecting that from coming from a fashion background where so many people were women. It was a real shock to me to go into such a male-dominated environment where sexism was quite so rampant. Um, I've had men at events who have refused to shake my hand and instead have blown me a kiss. I have had men call me sweet cheeks. I have had men question what my position is. Um, And that is really difficult to swallow when you've been brought up as somebody who just believes that equality should be a given straight off the bat so it's been a real challenge to be honest and I did say that no question was off limits and that I'd be super candid with all of my responses absolutely Um, so I don't know if it's been the same for either of you ladies in your positions within your businesses but that's something that I've it's taken me a long time to, to get to the position where I am now where I feel quite comfortable calling it out and asking someone if they have a problem and if they do have a problem what that problem
0: is. And I think that's a really good suggestion, actually, for I would say probably women in tech a lot. Uh, Annabella was wondering um, so, in a more marketing sided agency, would you experience the same, or is it more run by a female professional? Uh,
2: yeah, even though marketing is usually run by, by females, um, most of our clients are males, even if we are talking about business owners or uh, the top management. Um, usually women are more in the executive position and they are support for you know for the male running the um, um, the, the company um, i've had uh, issues um, during these 10 years it was since i started my my agency for instance when i had my first baby i lost three clients because they thought if i would go on maternity leave the their campaigns will not be working as effectively, so they just um, gave up working with us, and they they changed agency. So I think that that's where I felt the, the most impact. Because if I were a male, and if my my wife would have had a baby, uh, I wouldn't have been impacted, you know, in any way um, uh, for this particular case. And uh, usually in the conferences and in, in the events where where I go to deliver speeches, um, it's ten percent female, it's fifteen percent female in in the speakers line. So um, that's why we actually started. The, it's one of the reasons why we started this show to encourage more women to to step up and to uh, have a voice in the industry. Uh, be it digital marketing or, uh, you know, platform-based as you guys are, or starting their own e-commerces and aiming high because we don't just want it to be like a business, like a like a family small business or a hobby business. They can have also larger ambitions and be supported by the family and by um, their spouse and uh, to to really make a career out of that. And I get a lot of comments also on, on social media. Oh, how can you have it all? You know, you have two kids, you have your business, uh, you're a superwoman. I'm, I'm not a superwoman. It's just like I know my priorities, and I'm ready to you know work for for them. And even though there are there's many stereotypes, I have to to fight for. I also get a voice after many years, <laughs> as you, Lucy. Um, I I can tell up front, guys, if there's a problem that's Discuss it and get over it. hundred percent. Being professional, and I think that women, um, and it's actually one of the topics that I wanted to to bring uh, into discussion. Women have a lot to offer in the professional environment. It's not just you know um, competition and testosterone all over the place. I think there's <laughs> also empathy and uh, humanity and compassion and. Uh, so many soft skills we can bring into discussion um, to help a business grow in a sustainable way. I think there's also um, a, a real need to to do business in a more ecological way. I call it ecological, not necessarily concerning the environment, but in a more um, ecological way um, in re- the relationships that we build with our. Uh, stakeholders with our partners with our employees and also uh, Lavinia was mentioning you know having female um, employees how does that impact your business I think there's a lot of value into that my my business is also uh, 70% women 30% men I'm trying to have a, a gender balance I'm not being sexist at all uh, but I just find that in some positions and in, in some aspects women do come with with uh, with uh, different skills, I would say, and different approaches to to the business, and maybe you can also develop that a little bit. How how is it going in in your agency and in, in Reverie? Um, how do you feel uh, the the women employees impact the the growth of of the two businesses?
1: Of course, well, I suppose at Reverie it's just me. Um, so okay. probably a quick answer. Um, when it comes to Brave Disguise, we we do have, uh, I can't remember the exact percentage of female employees that we have, it is too low, um, but within the e-commerce and tech space, the representation for women in tech is incredibly low. Um, it's mm-hmm. very difficult to attract, it's, it's difficult to attract talent full stop, let alone trying to attract female talent. Um, we have some incredible women who work in, in client management positions within brave disguise. Um, We also have a fantastic lead growth manager who is a male and his soft skills are fantastic. Um, And I think that what women do bring to an agency is exactly, as you said, Annabella, it's that level of empathy, that humanity. And for the clients that we work with, you know, Rick, So's, Kitri's, Desmond and Dempsey's, Dora Larson's, we are their customers. Millennial women are their customers. So for them, the value of being able to pick The phone to an agency where their client manager is their customer who can genuinely give them that feedback and say I think that campaign is going to be great and here's what I would like to see from it as well and make those suggestions which is the coupling of the retail understanding and that knowledge of the ecosystem with that genuine technical expertise it's a complete no-brainer for them to keep working with us and that's probably one of the things that I'm most proud of at Braithers is our client retention because once clients start working with us, they're like, no brainer, this is great. Um, and I do think that having the right people on the other end of the firm plays the principal part in that.
0: I might have a question, Lucy, uh, regarding women and what talents they bring, what skills, what attitude. In general, I know Reverie is just you at the moment, but definitely you've seen a lot of people and talents at Brave skies So, how do you recruit? New talents, new people, and what do you look for?
3: Gosh, um, well, we recruit with great difficulty. (laughs) Recruitment is a huge challenge um, across the whole industry at the moment. Uh, Shopify merchants are growing, online revenue is growing, the ecosystem is becoming more crowded. So bringing new talent into the agency is Probably our biggest challenge at the moment in terms of what we look for, though, I suppose for us, it's really about the right attitude. It's about somebody who genuinely understands the e-commerce landscape, does have a passion for what e-commerce can enable businesses to do. and I do find that I have found over the last decade or more working that the soft skills are the things that you can't teach. So those are really the things that I look for as part of an interview, part of meeting someone for the first time is what kind of person are they? How do they communicate? What are their values? What is most important to them when it comes to joining a new business? Um, how do they how do they communicate themselves? What are their values? And if they've got the right attitude and the right approach, then I believe that we can teach them what they need to know.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, I think that's a common thread. I don't know, Annabella, if you kind of are experiencing the same, but definitely, and now i the previous agency I used to work for exactly the same thing. You can, the, the tech environment is changing so quickly that the skills are going to be outdated soon anyways, but the actual soft skills are so important. Annabella, was that for you? Would you say... Kind of similar landscape and
2: yeah absolutely so we're looking for um for character and for cultural fit rather than knowledge and skill because that's uh, we we have built internally some processes and a, a training program for uh newbies to you know to reach the the, the standard uh skills that we need for the job but if there's a cultural misfit with uh, with our organization, then definitely it's not going to work for for each of us. And also it needs to be somebody who's very um, dedicated to their work and very serious, very professional in, in their job and to give 100%, to be 100% in the business. So that, that's basically what we're looking. And at this point, we're... Um, even firing fast <laughs> if we get somebody on board and it's not a good fit then I just try in the first three months maybe it's different uh, you know in the UK uh, but I try in the first three months to just let that person go if it's not a fit because it would just stress the, the whole team and me and also that person if they constantly get uh, bad feedback not necessarily bad feedback well we give feedback but If we don't see an evolution in in their skills and in their attitude, then it's not going to work for us. And it's not gender-related, so I wouldn't say necessarily uh, there's a difference here. It's just a matter of personal values
0: and uh, how we align in in that case. Yeah. Um, And uh, taking... So, Lucy, taking... um, e-commerce as a field where it's definitely really tough recruiting but also it's been changing so much due to the pandemic uh, acquisitions costs are becoming higher and higher um good developers are really scarce on the market so more yeah. broadly speaking uh, what e- uh, e-commerce what trends in the e-commerce ecosystem are you witnessing right now and um is there Anything that you're seeing becoming more and more important and something you would recommend investing into or working on?
3: That's a really good question. I suppose from a merchant perspective, some of the main trends that we're seeing are really around a much more sophisticated and comprehensive tech stack. So what we're now finding as the Shopify Plus market has really settled within the UK A lot of the larger tech partners are really established. They've got teams on the ground here, so that they're they're really enabling merchants to adopt their technology. We're really seeing merchants have a very detailed and complex tech stack. So it used to just be Shopify Plus, and then we'll we'll pop in a few things as and when. Some people were using Dot Digital for their email marketing. Some people were using. Uh, Ametria. some people using Klaviyo. um for Loyalty, some people using Yappo, some Loyalty Lion, you know, some Smile, and what we're now really seeing is that those runners within the tech partner space are really emerging, so uh, what we see as a best-in-class tech stack now is quite clear, it's Shopify Plus, it's Clavio, it's Loyalty Lion, and we're really seeing those front runners come out now, which is great, and from a merchant perspective it kind of makes growth a no-brainer um there's so many case studies that have uh, bright pearl partnering up with PeopleVox, loyalty line partnering up with klaviyo akendo partnering up with someone else it's very it's very tried and tested and i think that that makes the entrance to growth and the adoption of growth very straightforward for merchants which is great from an agency's perspective trends wise a lot of people are latching onto that as well. We've been offering what we call a growth retainer for the last two years, which is a very proactive service that we offer for our clients who are paying um, and spending a certain tier of, of money with us every month. And we really integrate ourselves into their business. So we're really looking at planning their campaigns sort of three to six months in advance and how we support with on-site design and development. And we're really seeing a lot of other agencies now expanding the services of their retainers to support new loyalty tiers and email marketing flows and different services that are more related to the tech partners in the platform. So I think that's really interesting. Um, That's something that we've seen emerge a lot recently and something I'm fairly positive will continue
2: to grow over the next 12 months. Thank you. Okay, so I think we're approaching the end of the show. <laughs> Lucy, thanks so much for your time. For your time. Um, anything? Any advice, you'd like just to wrap things up um, to to women in tech to encourage them to build a career, to be brave and embrace <laughs> right. the tech careers. It's a,
3: it's a big question to finish on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would say to to any women who are considering looking at a career in tech, as much as possible, I would advise them to shake off any preconceptions that they might have about what the tech industry is. Um, Mm -hmm. If someone had asked me if I would have a career in tech when I was 17 or 18 years old, I would have laughed and said, absolutely not. I can barely turn a computer on, let alone work in the tech industry. And I think it's important for those women to know that the tech industry actually spans so many different career opportunities for them. Um, It doesn't have to be a software engineer. It could be a leadership role. It could be a project management role. It could be a creative campaign role. And there are so many opportunities for women to succeed in tech as long as they have the right opportunity the right company the right mentor and there's a lot of money to be made as well and I think that's something that women don't actually talk about enough when it comes to their careers in tech is you can couple the fact that you have incredible soft skills and you really understand your industry and you have incredible technical expertise whether Annabella that's in marketing or of you are in e-commerce There's a lot of opportunity financially for women to succeed in tech and I think that's really important for women to know. For women who are already working in tech, I would just say keep going, raise your voice a little bit more, get involved in more communities, say yes to being on podcasts like this, which everyone knows I used to say no to because I would have imposter syndrome and I'd be too scared. But I would just say keep raising your voice and have conviction in what you know that you can achieve and reach out to women who inspire you as well, because it's an incredibly inclusive environment and community to be part of. I've always found that if there's a woman working at another agency or at a bigger company, I will reach out to her and say, do you have 30 minutes for a chat? I'd love to ask you a couple of questions. I was lucky enough to speak to an incredible woman called Rose Fass um, a couple of months ago. She's based in Florida. She was one of the first leaders in America um, in business. Um, I think she was just incredible. I had 25 minutes on a Zoom call with her. And I had never felt more empowered. It was fantastic. So I would really say do not hesitate to press send on a LinkedIn message and just ask someone for a chat if you think you can benefit from it. Nine times out of ten, they will say, so "Yeah." <laughs> so there we go. That's my parting,
0: <laughs> parting <No>. advice. <laughs> Love that, and I think now you're gonna get a lot of DMs on LinkedIn of hopefully <laughs> have listened to this podcast and want to reach out. So, yeah, See put in yourself way. in a very dangerous but wonderful position. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Lucy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Annabella. Of course, uh, we're gonna present more stories of war- more women in the e-commerce industry soon. Lucy, it's been an honor having you with us today. Keep Thank us posted you. on both Brave the Skies and Reverie the Boutique achievements. And uh, thanks, Identify, of course, for uh, powering this podcast. Have a great day, afternoon, night, whatever, whenever <laughs> you're listening to the podcast, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank
1: you so much.
3: much.
1: Bye.
0: You, Bye.